Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want more information about Bethel Assembly, please go to our website, BethelAssembly.info. Thanks again. Awesome. I'm so excited to be with you guys today. Um, it is a privilege to be with Pastor and uh, at your church. From the time we walked in the door, I could sense that there's a lot going on here, and this is a church that loves God and loves its community. So you guys should be excited. We go to churches every Sunday, and this is special. I just want to tell you, be encouraged. You're in an awesome church. So thank you, and thank you for having us as part of your family. Like Pastor said, he actually came up to me, and he says, Hi, I'm Pastor Chris. Uh, you're new missionaries, right? I said, yeah. He said, do we support you yet? I said, no, not yet. He says, well, we do now. And then he just turned around and walked away, and I was like, that was so awesome. And so uh, you guys have faithfully supported us through our first term, so now you can see who you've been supporting, one of your missionaries, one of your many missionaries. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to take you on a little bit of a journey today. Uh, And my prayer is, as you hear these stories, like my wife said, we are your hands extended. So as you hear these stories, it's not just a story where you think, man, God's doing something awesome over there. It's a story of, look what God's doing through us. God's called some of us to go to the corners of the world. God's called some of us to go to the corner of the neighborhood. We're those people for you that he's called to go to the corner of the world. And I believe that there's other people, in fact, I met some this morning, and there's probably more in this church whose God has also called to go out to different parts in the world. But I want you to join in today, and I want your faith to grow. I want you to believe as you come away that the same God that we read about in the Bible is alive today, and he is fulfilling his promises in this world that we live in here and in the world even beyond. And what I mean by that is to get to us, you've got to go halfway across the world and then go down halfway again. Uh, In fact, when we first arrived in Vanuatu, our leadership said that they wanted us to live up north. They said, before you go down to the Bush Island, we want you to live up north with the missionaries that have been there for a little while, live with them, learn the culture, because there's there's 83 islands altogether. And so we went up north, uh, and this island has a little bit more infrastructure. It's got a few stores. It's got... uh, uh, well, it's got one paved road around the per, uh, perimeter of the island. It's got good electricity, and by good, I mean it's, it's out maybe two or three times a month, and relatively good running water. So we lived there, and for about six months, that was life for us. Um, we were learning the language, learning the culture, making friends, uh, and being mentored by the missionaries that were living up there. Well, about six months into that, the missionary that was up there, his name's Brian, he looked at me and he said, hey, Sam, I've got an open door to go down to Tana. I want to introduce you to some people I've met down there, some pastors, and let's go see if we can find a house for your family to live in. I said, okay, great. Do I need to bring my family? He said, no. He said, um, he said it'll probably be more like just a meet and greet. We'll get in quick and, uh, and then head out after that, and you know, it, it'll just be real quick. I said, okay. So uh, we set off on, a, on our trip, and from the time we got to Tana, I realized things were a little different. Number one, the airport terminal in Tana is about half the size of this, uh, of this sanctuary. Uh, and over on this, this side over here, you'd see a hole in the wall. And when you come in, you walk in off the tarmac, you hear this noise, and all of a sudden your suitcases start flying to the window. It's the advanced baggage claim. There's a guy out there, and he's just taking them out of the plane and throwing them to the window. Well, I went over and I picked up my suitcase, and as I turned around, I, right in front of me was this big man with his hand outstretched, and he had a big smile on his face. And I grabbed his hand, and he said, are you Missionary Sam? I said, yes. And he pulled me close, and with a big smile on his face, but tears falling down his cheeks, he said, my name is Pastor Demon. 
And yes, it's the man my wife talked about. He said, my name is Pastor Demon. He says, since 2009, we've been praying for God to send us a missionary. What I didn't tell you guys is in 2009 is when I was running my own business and working hard at succeeding in this world. And uh, God called us to Vanuatu, specifically to the island of Tana. And we started this season of preparation where from 2009 all the way up till we landed in Vanuatu in 2015, we were preparing. And here I am, first time on the ground in Tana, and this man's looking at me and says, since 2009, every day we've been praying for God to send us a missionary. So I was pretty excited. So we go outside and we get in the back of his truck, and when I say get in the back of this truck, I mean we climb into the truck bed. And you know how if, if a truck's a little bit older, the truck bed kind of sits down, like it's loose almost? Uh, well, that's how this truck bed was. Pastor Demon and I got in the back, and it really leaned back, and we grab onto the roll bar, and I think, oh, man, this truck's a little, little rough. And then I look around and realize, this is the nicest truck here. Uh, we start going down the main road, and the main road has potholes that are so deep, the entire truck goes down into the pothole, and my head is level with the rest of the road, and we come back up. So this is my first experience in Tana, and this is the good road. This is the road, not the road that my wife showed you. This is the nice road. So we're going down this road, and dust is just coming over me because it's the dry season. And you know how you can tell when someone's pointing at you? Well, I look over, and I see Pastor Demon's finger is right here at my face, and he's, he's holding on. He's got this big smile, and he's pointing like this. And every village we go through, I can hear the kids, and they're yelling, Missionary, let me stop, come. Missionary, let me stop, come. The missionary's coming. The missionary's coming. You see, our island's pretty small, 210 square miles, and there's only 45,000 people. And when someone new is moving to the island, people find out about it pretty fast. So there was this sense of expectation. So the next few days went really quick. I connected with people, met the pastors that work on the coast, went to a village and we were looking for a house. They showed us a couple different huts. Finally, they said, we do have a community house. It's made out of cement. And we went and looked at it. They said, this was the only building that didn't fall over last year during the cyclone. I said, we'll take it. Uh, and We've been living there for the last three and a half years, and it's, uh, it's 23 feet by 20 feet, so if you do the math on that, it's like 483 square feet, so uh, it's been pretty exciting for our family of six. We spend a lot of time outdoors, um, but that was, that was my first trip down there, and towards the, the, the end of the first day, Pastor, I was sitting in, in, the, in the house we were staying in, and had just taken a deep breath and praising God that I made some connections and kind of excited to get back and show the pictures to my family and, and get our family down there. How many people understand God likes to stretch you? He likes to take you outside of your comfort zone. Why? Because when you're outside of your comfort zone, you have to be dependent upon him. Well, I was about to get stretched, even beyond what I thought I was going to get stretched that night. There came a knock at the door. I answered the door. They said, is the missionary there? I said, yes. He said, missionary, we want to have service tonight. I said, okay, that's fine. He said, in 30 minutes, and we want you to preach. I said, okay. And I mean, as, as a missionary, as a pastor, you got to be ready. And so I, you know, I had some thoughts on my mind, but I've been preparing to be in this place since 2009. I mean, I don't want to mess it up. You know, I'm a little nervous. And also I'm learning the new language, but at the same time, I want to make a good impression. So I don't want to use a translator. Plus the translators there were not as comfortable with translating. So, um, I put together as quickly as possible my first sermon in the Bishlama language. We ran, they pulled me uh, to the, where we were going to have service that night. I jumped in the back of the truck again. And service that night was an open field. 
up front. Uh, we had crushed coral that was piled up. They'd taken a, a uh, palm tree, cut it in half, buried it in the coral, and slapped a piece of plywood on top, and that was my podium. And I was up there standing behind it. Well, we had worship service. They called me up. I preached my first sermon, covered in sweat, sat back down. People were very gracious. I'm sure it was probably my worst sermon there, too, but they were really excited that I was there, and I was really excited to be there. And I sat down and once again took a deep sigh of relief, thinking, okay, God, you stretched me. I'm ready to go get my family, bring them back, paint the house, get things fixed up, and uh, go from there. Well, the missionary that was with me was sitting where pastor is sitting, and this is a missionary who's been in the islands for about 15 years at this point, or even 17 years, and he was, nothing pretty much phases him. And I was sitting where my wife was sitting, and we, these are two big pieces of bamboo. The rest is woven mats throughout the grass. And I see someone come up and tap him on the shoulder. Then I notice the color drains from his face as the person whispers something in his ear, and then they walk away. I look at him, kind of trying to make eye contact, and then he looks over at me and says, get over here. So I go over. I said, yeah? He said, well, um, we have a bit of an issue. I said, okay. He said, well, um, there was a paramount chief here tonight that heard you talk. I said, a paramount chief? He says, yeah, you know, a chief of chiefs. I said, uh, oh, okay, uh, Yeah. He said, well, he liked what you said, and he wants to give you something. As he says that, these two men come out dragging this giant pig. This other guy comes up with his club and caves the head of the pig in. Then these ladies come out with these armfuls of potatoes, pile them up. Another group of women come out with these rolls of cloth, and they put them up. And I realize that this is the gift that they're getting ready to present. So I, I look at Brian, and I say, oh, I understand. I said, it's a, you know, I know we can't take the dead pig on the plane, but we'll, we'll figure it out. And he said, no you don't get it. And he points over to the side. He says, the chief is getting ready to give you his youngest daughter. (laughs) To which my jaw dropped. And I said, "Uh, what do you mean? He says, you see that two and a half year old girl over there? The chief expects her to come on the plane with us tomorrow when you go home, that she is going to be your new daughter. So then I looked back at Brian. I said, what what do we do? (laughs) And he looked back at me and he says, I have no idea. <laughs> so I said, okay, it's time to pray. Now, I knew enough at this point that this is, this, is, this is a culture where it's a shame culture. And what that means is if I said no to a person in authority in front of other people, that would absolutely disgrace him and would make a very dangerous situation for myself. So Brian and I prayed. Uh, and as we got done praying, he says, okay, I've got a friend who's been in and out of the islands for over 20 years. Let me call them and see if they've heard of this happening before. So he runs off. And I'm standing there, and as I'm standing here, things are getting real. I mean, torches are getting lit on the side. The girl that's over here, her face is getting painted. The front row was full of men during the service. Those guys have stood up, taken off their clothes, put a custom wrap on, painted their faces, and now I I can identify who the Paramount Chief is, and I'm starting to put things together. And all I can think is I've been preparing since 2009 to be here, and I'm going to create some weird international incident and never be allowed back on this island. (laughs) So Brian comes running back and he says, okay, I talked to my friend and he's heard of this happening between chiefs before. And he says, there's three options. I said, okay, what are they? He says, the first one is you just accept her. You go through the adoption process and you'll have to do it with the government. I said, I understand. I said, Lisa's not here and it's happening a little fast. I'm not ready to make that decision. He said, yeah, I kind of figured that. I said, well, what's option number two? He said, well, option number two is you can arrange a marriage with one of your sons. <laughs> said, okay, I'm not ready for that option. What's option number three? 
He said, well, option number three is you go through the process, you accept her. And then if there's another chief there, you find that chief and you ask him to perform a ceremony in which you're now presenting your daughter back to the chief that gave her to you, but not for him to adopt. You're presenting her back and saying, will you raise her on my behalf? He says, but you need to be aware that for the rest of her life, you and your wife will be mom and dad, her parents will be aunt and uncle, and you are responsible for her. When a man comes to purchase her to be his wife, because you still purchase your wife there, uh, he will come to you and bring the pigs to you and bring the kava root to you to try and purchase her from you. I said, uh, let's go with option three. <laughs> and long story short, God was with us that night. There was another chief. We performed the reverse ceremony, and not only did they accept, but I greatly honored the family, and I didn't realize that was going to happen, but I honored them, and immediately God brought us close together with this family. Today, her name is Amy. When you pray for us, please also pray for Amy because we have five children. Uh, She's six years old. My wife showed a picture of her, but I want to tell you something. God goes before you. He knows what you need better than you. You see, my wife talked about trekking and how uh, we use that to, to find communities and open up doors to share the gospel. When we started trekking, I would put my backpack on, I'd take a local pastor with me, and I'd go trekking. One of the communities that I came to is a custom community that my wife mentioned. That's a word that they've adopted from our language, and it means that they live the old way. They block three things. They block religion, other than their animist beliefs, because they have their own shaman. They block medicine, because they have their own shaman who does the medicine. And they block education. My first time coming into one of these communities, I came out of the jungle, and they had this big meeting area. It's a big open area in the middle of... uh, In the middle of the community, the dirt is packed solid from years and years of dancing and ceremonies and rituals. And as I came in, the young men came up to me because they realized I was an outsider. They said, no, 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 you can't come here. You've got to go. And as I'm standing there, I'm praying quietly, trying to figure out, just trying to talk to them, be friends with them, figure out how I can get through this. There's an old man sitting by a fire, and he looked over. He says, hey, he says, get out of the way. He says, that's Paramount Chief Tom's brother. That's Amy's father. He's one of us. Next, he invited me in. He says, brother, you can sit by me by the fire. This man was the chief. Next thing he said in a loud voice was, this man has a speaking voice in this community. We started talking, and I told him I was a missionary. And on this visit, he took me to the center of the ground in the middle of their, in their meeting space, and he drew a cross on the ground. You said, you see that? I said, yes. He says, that represents your religion. I said, yes. And he crossed it out. He says, it's here, so don't ever talk about it. In an, in an indirect communication culture, that is as direct as someone in America saying, if you do that, I'm going to break your legs. So I understood my role at this point was God had given me an open door, so I was going to build a relationship. So every time we'd come in, I'd just fellowship. They'd want to show me the pigs. They'd want to show me the garden. Sometimes we'd go see the waterfall, and that's how life went. And my wife would always ask me, say, hey, did you get an open door yet? Did you have a chance to share the gospel? I said, not yet, but we know God's going to do something. Well, I mentioned this village has a shaman. This shaman is known for his ability to control the weather. In fact, he has these little stones and he puts these leaves under it. And when the smoke comes up, he believes, and they've seen it happen, so they know it works, that the weather will change. Well, we'd gone into a season of drought, and this man had been trying to do what he calls pull the rain. He'd been trying to make it rain. And we had gone in, and I'd visited several times during this season, and now we were coming up on six months of no rain. And on an island where the water table is very low, six months of no rain 
is a pretty desperate situation. They were sending kids up to a day and a half, two days, just to get, come back to the village with muddy buckets and containers of water, and that was their water. Well, I remember coming in and trekking to this community, and the shaman that I mentioned, he'd never talked to me directly. He just talked loudly so that I knew that he had status. Well, on this day, as my visit was coming to an end, and I was turning to leave, he called out to me for the first time. He said, hey, stop. I turned around. I said, yes. He said, hey, will you bless our village? But he didn't say it like, hey, will you pray for us? He said, hey, will you bless our village almost as a threat? But I knew instantly this was an opportunity to pray. I said, yes. So I closed my eyes and said, God, bless this village. Show them your power. Pastor Demon was with me, and we said amen, and we turned to walk back to the trail where the truck was. We'd taken about five steps, and this guy just split apart. It started to rain. The shaman started jumping up and down, and he said, that man, that man, he pulled the rain. And I said, no, my God pulled the rain. And you see what happened that day is I went from just being a man who was Paramount Chief Tom's brother, which is what got me the open door, to being a man who is connected to the living God who had power. We now have a church plant that's five minutes walking distance from the center of this community. And when I say church plant, you need to understand this is the first time in history that this community has had access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's because you have partnered with missionaries like us and sent us to share the gospel. I've got one more story I want to share with you, and it's in the form of a video. Uh, and this story comes from a trek on the other side of the island, which is the white sand side. I don't know why it's called white sands, because the sand is all black on that side, and the volcano erupts every day, and the ash is always falling like snow over there. But I'd been trekking for a few days, and I want you to watch this testimony uh, of what God did. And I'll explain a little bit at the end, but I want you to see the video first. What this video didn't show you or didn't explain is... I don't know if you saw the injury on the man's leg. Uh, when I came into his hut and he told me his dream, he then told me that when he was a young man, him and his brother were standing on a cliff, and they both had to jump off. Something was coming after them. I believe it was a fire. He said he cried out to God above, and his brother cried out to the ancestors. He was the only one that survived. He said since the day that he survived, he promised the God that saved him that when a man that belonged to him came to his village that he would ask that man to build a house to that God, a church to that God. This man had been waiting for one person, one person that belonged to the saving God to come to his village for over 50 years. When you partner with missionaries, you're sending them out, not just because they want to go explore the world, but because there's somebody waiting there's somebody waiting that could have been waiting their entire life. See, this man wanted his village to know. He wanted, that, he wanted to tell his village, but he didn't know how to because he didn't really know. He knew he believed in the God that saved, but he didn't know all the details. I encourage you, if you haven't partnered or if you have partnered, sign up again, partner, be a part of what God's doing in this. We don't take this lightly. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thank you for having us here today, Pastor. I want to turn it back over to you.